This episode's a bit of a detour from my usual subject matter in a way that I'm really hoping that you're going to enjoy. I've been thinking about where the story actually begins and I think it begins with my hearing that Dorothy Porter was a trained actor and that her poetry readings were better for her having that training. And then I think it begins again when I start trying to get up at poetry open mics for the very first time and find myself unable to get through what I want to say without my voice shaking and my heart beating way too fast and my basically having a horrible time. And then it begins again with a band called The Wrens, who put out an album in 2003 called The Meadowlands. It's a whole other story how I came across The Wrens, but to me, they represent what's good and precious about creativity and making things that you love, even though the band has been struggling to release the follow-up to the Meadowlands for 18 years now. But while I was working in an office job that I both loved and hated, I think I listened to the Meadowlands a hundred times. It's one of those albums that just blurs into a single song for me. I'm sure you have at least one of those, or I hope that you do. So fast forward to 2017 and I've decided to take classes to learn how to improvise so I can get better in front of audiences to get better at poetry readings. But I'm also falling in love with improvising and the way it's making me write more and write more like myself and try completely new things that I would have previously dismissed out of hand. And as I'm learning more and more about it, I'm crossing paths with a whole bunch of new people, including this guy, Shane Henry, who's this crazy talented improviser and teacher. And one day another improviser and I are having tea at Shane's place and chatting and he's playing music. And the way I remember it is I interrupt both of them mid-sentence and basically scream, oh my God, you like the wrens. So I think we all can agree that finding out someone likes the same obscure 2003 New Jersey indie rock album as you isn't exactly earth-shatteringly significant or much to base anything on, but I am someone who looks for signs and weirdly I think it was that moment that gave me the green light I wanted to ask this Shane guy if he wanted to work together on a side project that I had in mind. So I did and over the next two years we worked on this thing we call Lost Weekend, which is a place where we bring people together to improvise and laugh and talk and try things out and hopefully do work that they're really proud of. And out of Lost Weekend grew this other thing, Impossible Machine, which is what this conversation is about. Impossible Machine is a performance where we ask a poet to share their work and then we have improvisers respond to make something new from that work. This was my answer to the question I kept posing myself every time I ran the sporting poets reading, which was what you'd probably call a more traditional poetry reading, I kept thinking, what else could this become? Just like I hope you have an album like The Meadowlands in your life, I also hope you have a friend like Shane. I hope you have someone who sees your best self as a matter of course, particularly at moments when you don't, and who can be excited with you and for you and whose passion makes you want to see how far you can take your own ideas. It's not an overstatement to say that Lost Weekend is one of my favorite things I've ever made and that Impossible Machine is one of the projects I'm proudest of 
So now it's Monday, 5th of July, 2021. It's getting into the second half of the year. And as I'm recording this introduction, it looks like, fingers crossed, who knows, we're just a few days away from being able to bring Impossible Machine back. It has been a long wait. But the beauty part of that is that all last year and early this year, Impossible Machine was never not coming back in my mind, even when everything else seemed in doubt, even when it felt like it'd be 10 years away, it was always coming back. And now that it is, I wanted to share a bit more about it with you. So what you're going to hear in this episode is Shane and I talking about, first of all, what improvisation actually is, Shane's own path to doing this work, and then what the show is, what Impossible Machine is, and how we see it. We also talk a little bit about the reputation of these two art forms, poetry and improvisation, and we touch on what it is to be a producer right now in Melbourne and what Melbourne's like, and a little bit about where we hope we might go. So I really hope you enjoy hearing about a complementary artistic practice that I personally think isn't that far removed from poetry at all. How would you define improvisation? Um, improvisation is spontaneous performance of any kind. That's, that's probably how I would define it. And then there are different types of improvisations. You have uh, improvised dance, improvised, uh, well, you know what, one example, improvised dance. Uh, and then you have what we do, which is improvised theatre. Uh, <laughs> and then w- within that umbrella category, you have the different types of improvised theatre. Um, what we do uh, with Impossible Machine could probably be most closely defined as long form. Um, but, but I also don't really think those distinctions matter to anybody who doesn't have a relatively in-depth knowledge of what improvisation is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's performance uh, that was unplanned in content. You use the word long form, so I guess it's worth mentioning. Like when somebody at a family gathering mm. asks me, what is it you're doing at your improv classes? Yeah. I'll say oh, you know that show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Mm. That's what we would call short form. And then long form being that bit longer? <laughs> that's not, yeah, that's not yeah. good. No, 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 no. no. I, I think that makes sense. I mean, uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway um, is a form of short form improvisation. And the way that short form improvisation predominantly works is someone will introduce uh, the idea or the concept of a, a game. So they will say, hey, this uh, game is called Questions Only. The way this works is that the performers on stage can only ask questions of each other. Um, And then you'll watch the performers perform that game per the rules that were given to you. Um, And that is where you get the enjoyment out of it as an audience. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas uh, long form, uh, typically a group of performers on stage will get a prompt or a suggestion or an offer of some point uh, of some form from the audience and then they will do an extended show where rather than explaining up top what the rules of it are they will make the rules as the performance is going along building the airplane as you're flying it yeah is that a dull close i think i i I think i think that might be a dull close uh yeah um 
Uh, I think so, but but then again, short form um, is the same thing. You know, you're, you're just building a smaller airplane, um, and sometimes those airplanes are faster and they're more, they're more ergonomic and comfortable, and they're more yeah. fun to fly. And yeah, the audience likes them more. Yeah, absolutely. So we do we do the hard, inaccessible kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think well, it's interesting because with with Impossible Machine, it's intentionally uh, I think a, a little bit uh, unpolished. I, I think it's it's intentionally. Uh, quite experimental because we don't necessarily want our plane to look like every other plane and I think that's a really lovely thing um, our goal and again obviously we do this together so when I say our goal um, I, I hope I'm representing you appropriately um, if I'm not stop the podcast and ask me to leave yep um, but thanks so much mm-hmm. uh, we, we we want to see uh, <laughs> how far can we stretch this plane analogy let's <laughs> no, find no, out I think we should yeah, keep let, going let's, let's find out yeah uh, well, we, we, we want to make the most fun planes uh, that that uh, report that was released a few days ago where everyone was like hey um, uh, we're about to get confirmation of uh, extraterrestrials did you did you hear about this? Oh God, no. Okay, so yeah, it terrifies me as well. Oh God. Um, but but for months it's been teased that this report's going to come out, and where all, all these um, all, all the uh, UFOs that the guy from Blink One Eight Two has been talking about, um, they were seemingly going to be confirmed uh, by the U.S. government, and that didn't happen. Uh, okay. But I guess my point is, their unexplained aerial phenomenon uh, to I, I, I guess uh, aircrafts as our long form. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> is to improvisation. This is uh, the best. Was that a good 45 minutes? Yeah, that was great. Thank yeah, you so, so much for coming yeah, in. Yeah, that's kind. Yeah. I think it would be nice to detour a little because we're already getting super nerdy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is amazing. But I think it would be nice to just hear a little bit about your path to improvisation. Your journey oh my 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 impro improv journey impro improv journey yeah great yeah um i yeah i i hate that term um because it reminds me of after the first season of masterchef uh when it it, it went from people going on masterchef because they wanted a hundred thousand dollars to people wanting to kickstart their food journey. Uh, like, like that, that was like a big thing that entered the... That uh, just sounds like digestion. 100%, yeah. My food journey is I'm hungry, I want to eat. Uh, this is very different. They want to open artisan pie shops. Um, but no, so I, I started off, uh, I did stand-up uh, for, for, for a number of years, and then after that, uh, I realised that what I was doing was getting on stage and more or less just improvising or, or writing sets in advance of, of a show that I would do but not repeating old material uh, because I get bored very quickly of what I was saying and what I was doing um, if I got on stage and a joke worked uh, I, I didn't really want to do it again because in my mind I had it for future use if I wanted to um, but, but even then I never really felt like I could honor previous material and then I found improvisation which is hey what if you trained how to be funny but every time you went on stage you did it in a new and interesting way uh so i started studying uh at impro melbourne uh, my, my first ever uh course was spontaneity there uh after that i moved to the improv conspiracy where i did a, a number of classes i then went overseas and uh, i think the most important training that i had was was the time that i spent in chicago at um Second City and then the IO Theatre, uh, came back, started teaching, producing, directing, performing in shows, and I, I've, I've more or less stayed with it 
uh, ever since. Um, and over time, the goal moved from comedy uh, to theatre. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you're now at a point where you're doing a master's to like deep dive into... How would you describe what you're doing now? Yeah, so, so I'm, doing a, I'm doing a master in creative industries at the moment um, and my research is adapting uh, performance technique to um, uh, communication theory and uh, narrative theory with the hopes of creating a, a, an improvised product that is long form, um, so, so it's, it's durational, it's a 50 minute, it's a full show that is completely improvised uh, that speaks to an audience in an accessible way. So what's great about it? Why are you still doing this eight odd years after you started? Mm. Um, every time I perform, I get to do something that's inherently collaborative based on the idea of pleasing and entertaining other people, uh, which, which I really enjoy. You and I have performed before and when we get on stage, we look at each other and then we look at the audience and we try to craft something that is for everyone within that space. And I love that. Um, I love the idea of being able to perform without any preconceived notions. It's really difficult to describe. Yeah, it is difficult to describe. Like it is, it's a truly addictive and um, all consuming art form in a way that I feel like poetry maybe isn't like I know a lot of poets who will take years and years away from writing intentionally or not mm. um, I don't know many improvisers who stop once they start that's one of the hard things about it is you're doing it all the time you're thinking about it all the time it's kind of taking over your life mm. you know to, to greater and lesser extents mm. but it, you can't explain to uh, the people around you why you're going again to a show or rehearsal or kind of thing it's like it's uh it's very difficult to pin that quality down but there is something about it mm. and maybe we just have to leave that on the table well i think i think for me it, it comes down to that collaboration uh, i think in a lot of ways improvisation could be anything if i was really into a book club or refurbishing model cars or stamp collecting you know that that could be my improvisation but for whatever reason i enjoy getting on stage and performing i, I think a big aspect of it as well is the idea of being able to construct a world on the fly and live in it and play people and objects and things that aren't me i i love that i love the the escapist sort of nature of it i, I think that's really fun but I also think that as a performer you have to commit to not just escaping for your sake but also for the enjoyment of the audience for the sake of creating something within that space and I think the majority if not everything that I do in improvisation comes down to what is happening on stage being reflective of the space it's performed in because I think that protects the performers from delving into self-important performance and I think it prevents the audience from watching something that's inaccessible because mm. I think we should be trying to connect or at least I want to be 
I'm constantly trying to connect when I perform. Yeah, I feel the same way when I write, which mm. is interesting. Um, I, yeah, we're back to Ian Forster only connect. Um, I'm going to jump in here and talk about why I came to improvisation because I feel like that's useful in setting up what Impossible Machine is. Yeah. So I'm just going to wax lyrical for a minute about me. Mm. I was in London trying to do poetry open mics and I couldn't get through a poem without shaking so hard that I could barely stand. So I looked up, I was trying a whole bunch of, a bunch of things when I was there because I was really unhappy. I tried singing classes and, you know, weirdo meditation techniques and all kinds of stuff. And then I found uh, the details of a, an improv class and the idea of it terrified me so much I kind of knew that I had to do it. Mm. And then I did it and it was the most fun I'd had mm. as an adult. Then we went to New York and I did a class there and it was the same experience. Then I got back to Melbourne and started actually doing it properly. And then you became my teacher very early on. Yeah, sure. <laughs> very early on, you became my teacher. And um, I, the idea for Impossible Machine, well, so, and then I was like, cool, cool. I want to do my own night because I just felt like, like for so many reasons, but because it just felt like a natural extension of what was going on. And then the thought for Impossible Machine came along about a year into doing that, doing this independent kind of night that we were running together. And the thing about it is it seemed totally obvious to me to have poetry be the thing that the performers were responding to. But I don't think that it would have seemed obvious to kind of anybody else really can you remember what you thought when I came to you with that idea? Well, it, it's difficult because we spent, I'd say at a bare minimum, 20 hours a week trying to program this, this, this night uh, that was towards the end of um, uh, the run before COVID hit, what was happening weekly. You know, we, we, we invested so much of our time into doing it that all of the planning, all of the Google Docs, all of the potential cast lists, all of the uh, correspondence between individuals and, 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 and groups, it, it all just kind of blows together. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I think around about, we, we were both talking about how, to, this is how I remember it anyway. Yeah. We, we, we were trying to figure out a way of getting uh, what is called premise-based improvisation um, incorporated into Lost Weekend in some capacity. And you always had this idea of what if poetry, this makes perfect sense. Hashtag what if poetry. Hashtag what if poetry. What, what, what if poetry. Yeah. Uh, great podcast, by the way. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> uh, and that was always, I think, just going to work. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you say that you think that it was just always going to work because I, I had doubts and I was pretty stressed about how it was going to go. And then when we did our very first show with Melinda Bufton as a guest, I couldn't believe how well it worked. Mm. I was amazed. The way the improvisers just ate up what they were hearing and they created this world with like, I mean, it was hilarious. Yeah. It was like one of the funniest shows that I think we put on that year. 
everything was connected and knitted together. There were these incredible callbacks all the way through the show. And there really weren't any shows that we did with the poets we put up, no matter how... um, Because I started with Melinda's work because I felt that uh, it had like a pretty great like narrative through line plus she uses really incredible and funny language Mm. so i was like oh well definitely work with melinda but then i started programming like poets that were just a little bit more um like less traditionally like not that melinda bufton's work is traditionally accessible but like what i thought would be a bit more challenging for a team of improvisers like what would they hold on to in these poems, you know? And then by the time we put Michael Farrell up, I was like, well, fuck, if this is going to work, anything will work. And then it it did. And then it did. Mm. It worked so, so well. Mm. And now I just feel like we have freedom to to do anything. But I was scared at the start that it was just going to be the most weirdest just collapsing on itself and, and... no one would know what to do and the stage would be dead and everyone would be like, wow, Alice, <laughs> great idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, stage collapse in on itself and no one know what to do um, is in many ways exactly what I want. Um, I want this show, if it's going to fall apart, I want it to fall apart in the most amazing way possible. And to your point before on, is this going to work? I think you would probably agree with me on this. The benchmark for what we do is far bigger than whether or not it works. If the point of improvisation is for someone to do a thing, in this case a poem, and then for performers to do a thing based on the thing that just happened, um, then it's always going to work. Um, I, I think what you and I care about is whether or not it's good and whether or not it's done well. And I think uh, a, a really big issue in improvisation, and I'm sure, I'm sure this extends to a, to a lot of other art forms as well, there's this complacency and there's this thought of, well, we can do it, therefore it's worthy. Um, and you and I have never worked that way in our programming. We've never worked that way in the way that we select our casts. Uh, you select the 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 poets and i know you don't work that way when you select poets you select people um that that you think are going to help create a show that will give to the performers and give to the audience in a way that's appropriate and also meet the uh artistic goals of lost weekend what's been your experience when you've been part of the cast can you i know it's going back a ways now because mm. it's been a long time since we've been able to put a show on yeah. but can you remember anything about what it was like impossible machine is a really young show how many have we done at this point less than 10 Ah, uh, yeah probably thereabouts yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. um and over that period of time uh we've had so many different types of poets and we've had so many different types of performers play as well uh no two shows are the same which on a technical level you can say about anything that's improvised but Mm -hmm. specifically with impossible machine no two shows are the same because the different type of poetry uh the different nature of the performers means that what you're going to get is completely different and there isn't a lot of learnt experience that you can take into each show The most important thing as a performer, I think, is listening to the poetry 
and finding things that are of personal resonance and significance to you and then performing based on those things. It's also about not having any preconceived notions on what a show is meant to look like, not coming in with a, with a format or a formula, not thinking, to, not listening to a poem and then thinking, oh, okay, so that poem referenced uh, someone at a garage sale. So my idea could be that I will play someone at a garage sale. It's like, sure, yeah, you, you could. I mean, well done. Um, <laughs> but what does that say about the piece? And what does that say about uh, the type of show and the, and the type of world you're trying to create within your performance? Impossible Machine is emotion-based in a way that I don't think any other show is in that it, it forces you I think to make emotional connections right off the bat but also do it in a way that an audience recognizes and understands it doesn't really matter if the audience hears a poem uh, about I should probably think of an example at this point right garage sale uh, uh, garage sale great yeah so <laughs> I don't know my garage sale came in my head sure uh, let's find out if this is at least as good as the um uh, what was it, a 45-minute detour into planes and how they relate to improvisation? <laughs> about uh, that long, yeah. So if, if an audience hears a, a poem out, uh, about a garage sale and they see a garage sale, some people will walk away from that show and think, wow, they really got the poetry. Um, as a performer, I'd walk away from that and go, I feel really bad that I didn't honour and respect the poet. Um, and I didn't respect the intelligence of the audience. And I didn't give them something that was based on uh, the... The, what's behind the content and, and the emotion of the poetry. Um, there's a level of depth that I want to see in all improvised performances that I watch, and there's a level of depth that we go for with Impossible Machine. That doesn't mean you're not going to get an extremely silly scene, but a great thing about Impossible Machine, and I think all of the shows that we're involved with, we're not just trying to aimlessly please. We are trying to uh, find something that we haven't seen before. And we're trying to do that in every show. Mm. So, so as a performer, this is a really long-winded way of me answering your question. Um, listen to the poem and do something that's emotion-based, I think, would be my advice to anybody coming on and playing the show. Um, don't, don't try to be the wacky dad at a garage sale. Hashtag Wacky Dad 2021. Is that good? That's great. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, I think if you were listening to this as somebody who'd never improvised before or maybe never seen a show that was improvised, mm. what we're describing probably sounds impossible and a little bit unbelievable. Like, I don't mean to use that word. Uh, that was a coincidence. Mm. But um, it sounds just crazy to have a cast of six or seven people standing at the side of a stage hearing a poem for the very first time and having the capacity to respond emotionally in the moment and then make up a show that honors the emotional content of that poem what's what's really incredible is that that's what happens uh, and I think that's what makes the show special but I just I guess I just want to acknowledge how mm. wild that probably sounds to people like as if you could do that you know because I think one of the things about this show when I have tried to introduce the idea with within like an elevator pitch 
quite honestly, it's been a little bit dismissed a few times by some poets because they're like, oh, what are you making fun of the poems? Mm. Or like, mm. are you, um, is it like poetry versus comedy or something like that? Mm. Um, which is a totally like reasonable reaction, I think, because it sounds like something that people couldn't do. Well, I, I think Impossible Machine is quite transgressive. And I think that poetry is transgressive as a form and improvisation isn't really seen as that. Improvisation is seen as uh, what if a bunch of people did a bunch of yuck yucks on a stage? Um, That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, hot take, love to laugh. Big fan. Um, <laughs> but improvisation isn't just that. Mm. Um my goal for this is is that it be genreless prior to the show commencing. You know, one of the great things about improvisation is is I don't know what the show's going to look like um, because we haven't done it yet. Mm. Um, a really important tenet of improvisation is not being judgmental uh, and being able to look to turn anything into something of value. Uh, as a performer, I walk into a Impossible Machine show running under the assumption that anything the poet does is worthy. Uh, any reaction an audience has to anything within that space is reasonable and right. And it's my job as a performer uh, to navigate that space. Yeah. That's pretty bloody convincing. <laughs> of what? I don't know. Um, I'd come see that show. Yeah, no, I just think it's worth unpacking this stuff because I think... Um, there are a lot of preconceptions about what both these art forms are. Uh, what are they with poetry? What, what the, I, I know historically uh, the shade that can be thrown on poetry, but in terms of the specific Melbourne scene, I don't really have an understanding of, of, of the context of that. The preconceptions... Um... God, it just depends on what angle you're looking at it from. But, like, I think self-seriousness would be the main accusation levelled at, like, poets in general and earnestness that's kind of unbearable. <laughs> and that often applies. <laughs> that often does apply. Um, if not that, then maybe a sort of, like, overly casual um, offhandedness mm. and a kind of the same accusation that you might level at like uh, a piece of modern art that that looked incredibly simple and um, casually put together that sort of oh anyone could do that mm. um, and this is getting into a completely different conversation but what's what's difficult right now <laughs> is that uh, there is a lot of poetry being written and disseminated and discussed and, and treated reverently that really, to me, seems really easy to put together um, mm. by people who just, and, you know, to be perfectly blunt, I don't think are reading very much and I think are just, like, feeling things and making an Instagram post and calling it a poem. Mm. Uh, this might be my cancellation moment, but that's, that's <laughs> well, what well, I think. <laughs> well, I, I think there's a space for that, though. Um, I think there's a space for improvisation that 
just wants to that, that is just the product of people having fun with their friends I think there's space for poetry that is just what if Instagram you know I think there's space for all of these things um, for me it's just about personal taste um, there are things that I want that don't exist at the moment that I think could exist if we keep working on impossible machine you know if we keep working on lost weekend um, it may be a reaction to other things in the creative ecology of Melbourne but it's not it, it it's yeah, it's a reaction isn't necessarily a bad thing mm. um, I think it's really important that there be diversity and, and variety in, in terms of content and, and I think it's really important that the bad stuff be out there because it's going to be the good stuff to someone else um, and, and I know in the poetry world uh, it may be really annoying as, as someone who really cares about it who reads a lot uh, that there are other people who are getting a lot of eyes on them and they're seemingly not doing that. Um, but just because they're getting that doesn't mean it's better than what you're doing. Um, I, I think it's really important that we all keep our personal artistry in check. Um, because if, for argument's sake, we were doing Impossible Machine for a long time uh, and then out of nowhere Possible Machine started, uh, oh man, and, 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 and it I'd was, be so annoyed. Well, right, yeah. <laughs> like, like, what if, for argument's sake, another show popped up and it was a bunch of Instagram poets um, who were doing a show where, where the Instagram poets said their piece uh, and then less experienced performers, the ones that we typically get, got up on stage and, and performed. Um, if that was the mission statement of that show, I'd go watch it. And it might be good. People, it might be better. It might be better. You, you, but, but in all honesty, yeah, it might be better. Uh, but that doesn't mean our show is any worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's room for all of this stuff. Mm. Um, and, and I'm sorry if me saying that derailed, because you, you were getting very passionate about this idea of people should be reading more. And, and, I, <laughs> and, and I totally get that. You know, yeah. as, as someone who is, who is really in-depthly studying the, the history of improvisation, I, I also think that a lot. You know, I, I look back at uh, exercises and, and techniques and, and the way that over time improvisation um, has been uh, co-opted by, by stand-ups and commodified. And, and sometimes it, it really annoys me because it started off uh, as a tiny thing at the University of Chicago that was meant to aid in the socialization of children. You know, it had completely different goals. Um, but there's room for all of it, and it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you didn't derail me at all. In fact, you okay, kind of right. like you kind of helped me clarify my point because, uh, yeah, it can just get so easy to fall into that space of like trying to be some kind of purist and um, make the case that like the way you're doing it is the right way to do it. And in some ways, you have to believe that because there's a lot of uh, it's quite audacious to make something and say to people this is good enough that you should leave your house and come and see it so you do have to have a certain level of self-belief in what you're making but as you say it doesn't necessarily have to discount what everybody else is making there's room for everything rising tide lifts all boats mm. doesn't have to be a scarcity mindset around this stuff at all mm. yeah when you say it's audacious uh i think it's worth noting it's audacious for people like you and i um because there are a lot of things that prevent us from putting things on stage 
we have a really intense care for our audience um, and we will go to a lot of lengths to uh, make it as good as possible a lot of the time at the detriment to our own um, uh, financial gain, uh, to our own personal health, uh, to our own uh, general enjoyment. Uh, I think we're trying harder this time not to do that though. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah look, look, absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're trying to be healthier here this time, people, just so you know, we are trying to be good to, no, to ourselves. A, a, abso absolutely. <laughs> and, and the way that we're managing things post-COVID is fantastic. But I think it's worth noting that to a lot of other people, there isn't anything very audacious about putting on a show. It's just, oh, well, let's do it. Why not? I'm going to create an event and the outcomes aren't necessarily the same as the outcomes that you and I have. Uh, you and I, when we put on an impossible machine, we want to create a closed theater piece that is the confluence of a poet and an ensemble of performers that speaks to an audience in a way that they haven't seen before using performative language that hasn't been used before. It's very lofty. Yeah, it's pretty lofty. A lot of other improvised shows want to make something up on the spot. And if they successfully did that, then they have met the mission statement and the objectives of that show. Uh, we make it harder for ourselves for having uh, more lofty ambition. Um, but you and I wouldn't waste our time with anything less. And I think that's a really... It's a really important point to make, I think. Yeah, I, I hope that hearing you and I talk is giving a little bit of a sense of that, like just how seriously we take this stuff um, and whether that's a case to come and see the show or not. Yeah, I hope that that's, that's coming across because I think that that Obviously, you know, this is just my approach to everything is like, I think that that matters. I think it matters that you care. Um, but, you know, also there's room for people who are just doing it a little bit more casually and being a little bit less intense about it, I guess. Mm. But I don't know. You're right. I wouldn't want to waste my time with anything else. Is there anything else that I haven't led you to that you wanted to talk about re-improvisation or this show or hmm. anything like that? Well, it might be worth talking about. So, so Impossible Machine is the name of a, uh, a performance that we put on. That is a thing that's done under the umbrella Lost Weekend. Um, would it maybe be worth us talking about that a little bit? Yeah, or... sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we kind of glanced past it at the beginning, but so that was the name that we chose for this project that was initially a fortnightly thing and then... Initially became... monthly, I think, wasn't it? Was the first one monthly? I mean, you know, we were feeling our way for for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, this is true. <laughs> yeah, whether we could, uh, between the two of us, create and produce and run a successful night of just improvisation. Mm. And so, yeah, we did that for like a bit over two years before 
there was a global pandemic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's worth hitting on uh, a successful night. Uh, yeah. At that point in time, uh, the, the goalposts for success uh, were, can we get people in a room? Uh, can we get a, a full house of audience uh, and a diverse range of performers uh, performing improvised works uh, in a location that people don't typically go to see that. Yeah. Um, and and, and I, I think we succeeded. Um, it was extremely challenging. Um, and it was, it was a lot of blood, sweat and tears that got us there, uh, but we did it. And now we're in this position where post COVID we can, <laughs> We can look at our wares and sort of say, okay, well, what have we learned? What would we like to take with us? And the first thing that we've thought about is Impossible Machine. You know, of all of the experimentation that we did uh, over that two plus year period, this is the show that we would like to put on first post COVID. Um, and I think you and I both hope that it's going to lead to us putting on other shows um, and more Impossible Machine performances and things like that. Yeah, I mean, we've got to talk about that, right? Like the landscape that we're operating in now is is a really different one and that is an opportunity as much as it is a challenge. Like I know that I said to you a lot over 2020 uh, on, you know, outdoor walks. Hmm. I was like, the great thing about this is that it is, it is leveling the landscape. You hard know, reset. Hard, it's a hard reset yeah. for Melbourne as a whole. And it's been really interesting over the last six months as there's been slightly more opportunity to do things, to produce events, to see what has returned unchanged, mm. what has flourished, what's just never coming back. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things, there were many, many things that made it challenging to run Lost Weekend uh in 2019 and 2018 but one of the factors was that melbourne's creative scene was just so established it had so it had so many established patterns and expectations and certain people did certain things a certain way and there wasn't much room to move mm. and i wonder how much you know poets and producers listening to this who are based in melbourne feel this now this sense of like well fuck anything's up for grabs you know in mm. in some ways in a lot of other ways it's like oh, everything's still really hard and just planning things is impossible and getting people to commit to coming to things is really hard mm. and i don't i really don't know what it's like in other cities because in so many ways you know sydney feels like another country to me and brisbane feels like you know might as well be the other side of the world mm. but um yeah, I wonder what it's like in those cities as well. But I think, I don't know, this is how I feel about it. I don't know if this is this is the perspective that you share, but I guess at the start of this year, I still felt really, really tentative about um, really committing to doing anything. Like it still just felt really scary. Yeah. And then I think by about May or so, I just reached a point where I was like, well what am I going to do? Just sit and wait? Like yeah. it's taking forever. Yeah. I don't know if people noticed. It's taking a really <laughs> long time to sort this stuff out. So like, I just, I just want to, I just want to keep working as I guess, you know, what I would call a creative producer. Mm. Um, 
in as much as I safely can, mm. you know. Uh, because the other option is just to continue hibernating. Yeah. And that is, you know, I think people, some people would argue that's what you should be doing. You know, you need to just sit down and shut up and not do anything and for, you know, another couple of years. Mm. But I don't know. I don't, yeah. I personally just don't want to. And maybe that's really selfish. I don't know. Well, you and I wear multiple hats when we're trying to put on an impossible machine show. Uh, we are the producers of the show. Uh, we also play an active role in the show. Uh, we also do all of the behind the scenes planning. We secure the venue. You know, we're, we're, we're the, the full creative team. Um, and we need to keep in check uh, our want to perform and be on stage. Um, our want to bring people together, our want to produce something with, you know, the, the needs and the requirements of the, of the current climate. We spent months planning and then had to throw it away because there was another lockdown. Yeah. You know, there are, we're, we're creative people who are really hungry to create opportunities for people. Um, and the current climate has prevented us from being able to do that in a way that has been really frustrating. Uh, and we're finally in a position where three days from now, we're finally able to put on uh, a performance that in a lot of ways we've been planning for, you know, at least passively for about 12 months now. I, I would say at least, you know, that it still occupied a lot of mental real estate. Yeah, and Harry was gonna be the poet in the show that we canceled back in March 2020 so that's pretty special yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, I've kept you for a long time and I'm gonna let you go but as a last question I was wondering if working on this show has changed your relationship to poetry at all Ooh, that's a that's a great question um, I don't really have a way of articulating what my relationship with poetry is or was prior to the show yeah uh during the show or or, or or when it's run in the past or even now um you know i i sometimes I, I i have a lot of uh notepad pages on my desktop which which are me uh attempting to write it sometimes or if i have thoughts that, i didn't that know that yeah. i did not know that shit what sure, the fuck i'm sure everybody does that though <laughs> I uh, don't think I'm, so. I'm sure everybody does that um 100 everybody does that every, every creative person on the planet at some point has sort of a sentence and god bet that'd look good next to another sentence mm, um you, don't you know about that you, you know being being i Poetry is just so impressive to me. Um, it the, the the idea of doing that well is in, is incredibly daunting, um, and, and I I respect the work and I respect the craft so much. Um, and all this show is really so. So I'm coming in with that. You know, I, I I'm coming in with this this this, this reverence for it. Um, so when I get to play with it, I trust my instincts as a performer and I trust that I'm good enough at what I do, uh, that what I am going to do as an improviser enriches the poetry, or at least it aids in converting it into a theatrical performance as opposed to um, something that's just spoken. Obviously it's a beautiful thing just spoken uh, and performed as well, obviously, 
Um, but I really deeply consider my role in Impossible Machine uh, to honor and respect the work uh, and all that Impossible Machine has done in terms of my personal relationship to poetry is highlighted how much I love it because it allows me to interact with it uh, in a new way. Very cool, very cool.